2: Connecting to the big show.
0: In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute Joe. You know?
3: The law is the law. Peter, this is in our hands. I mean, it really is.
4: People were there. We will continue to raise our voices.
2: We're the one for cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk?
0: Call
2: 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 83 396
0: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: The lines are live. Let's
0: kickstart the
3: conversation.
2: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On
0: Cork's 96fm.
3: I don't know what time you check your social media in the morning for the very first time. With me, it can be as early. Are you, waiting, are you waiting for this? It can be as early as a quarter to six for me. Sometimes if I wake to go to the loo earlier than that, it could be half five. But quarter to six. And it's great. It really was brilliant to open up my socials this morning and see that news uh, that Ryan Cody had been found safe and well and was in a hospital and that his family was telling everyone thanks for everything. We found him, he's at a hospital, and thanks everyone so, so much because they were so, so worried about him after he'd gone missing over the weekend. Lovely to wake up to that uh, this morning. 1850-715-996. Not so lovely to wake up to your newspapers. What we're going to do this morning with regards to where we go after the 5th of July is I'm not going to speculate Okay, I'm going to get two expert views, one of them all the way from the World Health Organisation. I'll be joined before the end of the programme today from Geneva and Switzerland by Dr David Nabarro from the World Health Organisation and I'll be putting that question to him based on the present data available to us in this country what he thinks we should do after the 5th of July your Irish Daily Mail is saying summer freedom facing a setback indoor dining and foreign holidays might be delayed amid concerns over the variant nearly all the front pages have something on it today the examiner says Delta threat to return of travel abroad And on the Irish Independent, Taoiseach admits that Delta puts the reopening at risk. And Michal Martin did say quite a lot about this in the last 24 hours. He's not playing his cards as close to the chest as you think he might. We know there'll be a meeting between the government and Neffet sometime around the 1st or 2nd of July, which is only next week, where Neffet will issue its advice. Do you remember last week or the week before, Neffet was telling us everything was fine? Drive on, lads. That might change, but we're not going to deal with any of that speculation. I'm going to talk to uh, Dr. Nambaro from the World Health Organization before the end of the program. And I will also be talking to another uh, regular on the opinion line, Professor Luke O'Neill, just after 10 to see where he thinks we need to go next. Your thoughts are welcome, though, on that and anything else. If you think we should stay open or, sorry, continue to open up, or maybe hold back for a little bit. I'd like to know how you feel at eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Want to start though with a report that started in oh, well, I read it in the The Sunday World, but it's been going around since the joint policing committee meeting, the most recent one. Chief Superintendent Barry MacPolan was speaking at that meeting and he was saying that children as young as twelve are now coming into the city in Cork, getting drunk, staying out late. And the chief super was asking the question, do their parents know where they are? And this was in the context of a discussion on crime statistics. And in the first six months or first half of this year, uh, there was an increase in the number of rape and sexual assault, an increase in the number of drugs offences, quite a number of public order offences, and a huge increase in the problem with drugs. 2020, things were down a bit. Public order dropped in 2020 by 6%. Drug goodness dropped by 16%. But there was, you know, it's not good is, is the general picture. But the point being made by the chief super was that some of the problem is being created by kids as young as 12, and he's asking the question, do their parents know where they are? Which I think when you're 12 is a very valid question. Uh, Councillor Mick Nugent of Sinn Féin sits on that JPC. Mick, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Fairly stark, kids as young as 12 getting drunk and getting into trouble. We kind of knew, but for the Chief Super to say it at a meeting kind of makes it official.
5: Yeah, and the Chief Super was putting out there and it was a public meeting of the Joint Policing Committee, so I thought he was putting out there that he was addressing the issue and asking, I suppose, wider society to be aware of the fact and I you would be worried that children as, as that young at 12 years of age would be in town and would be, you know, if they're intoxicated, they're going to be vulnerable and, you know, and he also mentioned there had been a number of assaults as well which that's worrying P.J., for children that age to be possibly, um, a threat, you know.
3: Yeah. Do, do you think he's right that it's the parents' responsibility to know where a 12-year-old is?
5: I thought, look, um, you know, at that time, if it's 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock in the morning, you no, know, I suppose parents going to always know, you know, but, you know, the, the kids might be saying they're going out meeting friends. They may not know that they're going into the city centre, you know, but... It, I suppose if they're coming in after drink and and they're supposed to chew super, I was asking parents um, to be aware of the fact that it's happening. So maybe that will have have some effect because like nobody wants to see kids at that age, you know, being vulnerable in the city centre. I suppose we've all over the last number of months seen a kind of a trend, an increase in you know teenagers and that's been, been hanging around the city centre, and it's maybe. 90% is probably fine. You know, youngsters are hanging out, and they're meeting friends, and they're going home in a reasonable hour. But obviously, there seems there's a trend now where they're staying out later, and mm. some some are drinking, and that's a concern. You know, at that age, particularly with, with alcohol and the threat that's there, and they're going to be vulnerable. So it's I suppose the chief is putting out there, asking people to be aware of it, and asking parents to be aware of it, maybe have conversations with with their, I suppose, sons and daughters who are young, if they are mm-hmm. saying they're going into the centre, just be aware of the dangers, like, you know? Do
3: you have kids, Mick? I
5: don't, it is, so I'm conscious yeah. of that I'm But you were 12 once.
3: Did, you, was, did, did your was parents eight. know where you were when you were 12?
5: I'd they did. I was 12, maybe. You know, I can't believe when I was 12, maybe not, not always. When I was 15 or 16 or 17, but 12 is very young, um... PJ, you know, that's very young and I would have seen probably you have yourself, you know, um youngsters that age hanging around the city centre, but this will be afternoons or, or early evenings mm. um particularly that late at night, you know, and people in the past and Katrina and Tony and Payne Dinners you know have highlighted, you know, the dangers mm. in the city centre very late at night at times, you know, for you no know, that was in terms of um, people that were homeless but still in all you know if youngsters hang around city centre that late you know that's obviously a
3: concern like you know because i I've been trying to say Make, that if you have a tw- let's focus on a 12 year old and sure if they're out around the place with their friends at 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening then that's okay but if they're out at 11 or 12 o'clock at night and you don't know where they are then that's on you yeah, look, I'm, you
5: know, I, I do have a niece that's 14 years of age and, you know, certainly she wouldn't be in town or anything like that mm. that late, nowhere near that. And if she was, you know, if we'd be looking to address that, to make sure that wouldn't happen, like, you know, so it is very late. Um, it will Doesn't be very it late become a guess. child
3: welfare issue if they're out that late? It could come to that, you know, if it's if it's continuous, if it's repeated. Like you um, do have a twelve-year-old or a ten-year-old, twelve-year-old, and you don't know where they are at midnight on a Saturday. That's a child welfare issue, I would suspect.
5: It is, uh, look, or bordering it, on it, at least, you know. Certainly, yeah, and if you know, if kids that age are if they drink, you know, in them and they carry out, you know, maybe assaults themselves, that they're going to come to the attention of the guards and the juvenile li- liaison officers. Um, I think if it's continuous, you could see, you know, it could end up in Tusla as well, if it's a regular thing, like, you mm-hmm. know,
3: so Now Tusla are already run off their feet they don't actually have anybody yeah. at that hour on a Saturday night either, you
5: know. Yeah, and look uh, the chief super was saying the guards have increased their patrols in, cent- in the city centre um, and I suppose following the I suppose following his, the concerns he addressed, I'm sure the guards will be looking at doing that more. Um, I mm. think they probably need. They probably need well, what was so the general
3: consensus, that. or was there a general consensus of the of the JPC of anything that might be able to be done about this?
5: I think the, I think it was just it's a, a general call for more, and this issue and other issues is relating to city centre just more visibility um, in terms of of guards. Um, being visible, been walking around. I know there was a video highlighted a couple of weeks ago on social media, PJ. You might have seen it
3: near the library. It was, yes, you know, guy got a funny. terrible hammering. And there wasn't a guard to be seen? No,
5: that was a concern. Like, large group there. No, it was, it was a minute of a video. You know, that's not to say there wasn't a guard. It was longer it, than a minute you know? now,
3: to be fair, mate. Yeah, yeah. The, the video, the, the version I saw, lasted for enough time for a guard, car, to get there. Easily.
5: Yeah. Yeah, and look, and there will be there will be cameras in the city centre as well. So, you know, um, I think the guys will need to... I'm sure they will look at increasing their visibility um, in the city centre. I said, PJ, I think, you know, I'd say 90-95% has been fine. Um, mm. But you have those occasions
3: and stuff like that. Yeah, concern. but you know, if you, I, I get this 95% of fine argument. It's made all the time, and sometimes it's put out there as if to say, well, what do we do by pointing out the other 5%, there's something wrong with it. But here's the thing, if you want one rotten spud in a bag, it'll ruin the whole bag of spuds.
5: That's it, and I think, you know, and there's no harm um, addressing the that 5%, and the Chief superintendent himself now has put out this about um, children young as 12 Coming into the city centre. So mm. that's the warning in itself, isn't it? Indeed. Indeed. Well, it we it's have, certain we certainly been, it's being
3: mentioned at meetings like that. We can leave it there for now. Thanks ever so much. Appreciate it. That's Councillor Mick Nugent of Sinn Fein Cork City Northwest Ward and a member of the JPC, which is the Joint Policing Committee, which is basically a meeting that they have a few times a year where the, the guards come in to the councillors and a few more officials and they sit down and they discuss crime and they do statistics and they, they talk about what's wrong and what's not wrong and what's right and what's not right And they, generally it's an exchange of statistics and that particular meeting where uh, Chief Superintendent MacPolan was attending was to go over the, the statistics and he said that crimes against the person actually in Cork City this year are down a bit there have been no murders so far this year in Cork City criminal damage is down a bit Uh, dropping from the 415 different incidents, but it's down a little bit. Arson also down a bit. Drunkenness down 16%, but a slight increase in public order offences. Weapons offences down. Number of traffic collisions down. Well, you would hope that would be the case with less traffic on the road during lockdowns and stuff. But an increase in harassment an increase in stalking, an increase in menacing phone calls, increase in rape, sexual assault, or is that just the reporting of them? But let's come back to the question, and I'm going to toss it out there to you and see what you think. If you have a 12-year-old, and they are out on a Friday or a Saturday night, and it's half past 11, 12 o'clock, and you don't know, where your 11 or 12 year old is What would you do? Would you ring them and try, If they have a phone Assuming they do Would you ring them And try to find out Where they are Would you wait Until they come in eventually And then try to find out Where they were Or does it not bother you at all If they're out at that hour of the night Or would you agree with me That if your 12 year old Is out And you don't know where they are At midnight on a Friday Or a Saturday Then dude That's on you 1850
2: 715 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With
0: dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream.
2: The Cork Diary
0: on Cork's 96FM. This year, the National Hospice Movement is opening a virtual sunflower remembrance garden online. The garden will remain open for the month of June and you are asked to dedicate a sunflower in memory of a loved one to help raise funds for local hospice and specialist palliative home care services. For more, log on to Together for Hospice. IE forward slash sunflower days if you have an event you would like mentioned email cork diary at 96 fmie the
2: cork diary
0: with the new explore cork app a cork county council initiative featuring over 850 places to see and things to do
2: on cork's 96 fm can we just talk The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
0: Call us now,
2: 1850-715-996. On Courts 96 FM.
3: Throw that one around your heads for a little while, though. If your child is 12 and they're out on a Saturday night at half past 11 and they come home in a disheveled state with drink taken... Like, who's that on? Is it on the guards? Is it on the council? Like, people said that, oh, they looked after the restaurants, but they did nothing for the young people. Is it down to the council to amuse them? Is it down to the guards to take care of them? Or is it down to you to do your job as a parent and make sure you know where they are? And if they come in pissed at half-eleven, it's your fault. What would you think? 1850, 715996. This is a fascinating story. It's just one of those quirky stories that's been going through the court for months and it seems now to be finally concluded. This is the story of Sister Irene Gibson, a 62 year old mother superior who was found guilty of breaching the planning laws in LEP in West Cork. She was ordered by a judge, by Judge James McNulty, to pay a €1,000 in fines and legal costs over the setting up of what they call a hermitage development down around West Cork. Ralph Regal of the uh, Irish Independent was in court. Ralph, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. What happened? First of all, who is Sister Irene Gibson? Who does she uh, represent and what's been going on here?
6: Yeah, Sister Irene Gibson. I think she was. She's originally from Dublin, um, PJ, and she describes herself as a, a consecrated hermit. And she, basically, she's been living as a consecrated hermit for about thirty years. And the order that she's associated with is the Carmelite Order of the Holy Face of Jesus. Now, I think it's worth it, it's worth noting that that order is not in communion with the Church in Ireland, or, and it's not affiliated with the Diocese of Cork and Ross. And that's important to say because that meant that a church property or a vacant church property wasn't made available to them as part of this kind of very long-running process. But she, if they live essentially life of hermits. They, they they pray, there's meditation. Um, they also very much identify with orders pre-the Vatican Council. So they favor the Tridentine Latin Mass. Uh, when they're in groups, they pray in Latin. They are only allowed to pray in their own language or English when they're on their own. So it's very much a kind of a a secluded hermit-like existence for these nuns. And what had happened, PJ, was that she had always had a dream of developing a hermitage in Ireland. And she identified a property just outside Lep. And there was a number of structures placed on that property um, back around, I think it was 2015, 2016. Now, one of the properties was a two-story chapel Um, Now, a lot of them were kind of prefabricated timber-type structures, Mm. uh, but that that structure was clearly visible from the road, and a number of locals had complained. And when the council checked, there was no planning permission in place for those structures. Mm. So you had this two-story chapel. You also had a number of pod-like cells, and that's where Sister Irene and another um, affiliate to the order Sister Anne-Marie would live. Now, it's also worth noting that there was no uh, running water on site. There was no electricity on site. It was very, very basic. Mm. Uh, So these nuns were living in quite um, primitive, is probably the way you would describe it. Who owns the site, Ralph? Uh, Well, again, the site, again, what you understand is that Sister Irene had acquired the site previously was a garden centre. And Sister Irene had established this up there. Now, we're not quite sure had she put a, a purchase on the site or had she got a long-term leasehold. But as it transpired, because of the way the planning wrangle uh, had developed, uh, she said she was left with no option but to leave the site. So what had happened was the council um, explained in court over, over multiple previous occasions that they had tried to reach compromise, they had tried to secure compliance with planning laws without having to trigger enforcement action, but in the end they said they felt that they had no other option, they had received complaints from locals, so enforcement action was taken and it ended up before the district court about two years ago, there was a hearing Sister Irene had denied breaching um, planning laws uh, then she had argued that because of the the religious nature of the purpose of the site that it would be exempt under these planning laws mm-hmm. but Judge McNulty, James McNulty disagreed and he found that there was a breach of planning uh, controls and directed that the site had to be rendered planning compliant, which meant the removal of these structures. So yesterday's hearing before Skibbereen District Court was basically for the court to be satisfied that the orders had been complied with. And uh, Margaret Noel O'Sullivan, the, the solicitor for Cork County mm-hmm. Council, said that indeed all of the residential uses of the site had been removed. So all of the buildings... The pods there, are gone as well, aren't they? There, there was se- originally, there was, I think, seven different structures on site, PJ, and they have all been removed. And what was pointed out was that the only thing that remains on the site is a bright orange-coloured fence, a wooden fence, surrounding most of the perimeter and boundary of the site. Now, this became a little bit of an issue, but Judge McNulty noticed he said, look, we've come a very, very long way... <laughs> nature will take care of this orange coloured fence yes. and green it over time and there's an awful lot of Irish houses would love to have a fence yeah. of this quality
3: He's a pragmatic man as Judge Absolutely. McNulty I wasn't at all surprised to see that actually in the report Yeah,
6: yeah. and I think he very much took the view, PJ that look, we, we've we arrived at the point that everyone was hoping for about two years ago so what was said in open court yesterday was that the the, the nuns have secured an alternative home They um, what was said was that they have purchased a property uh, that property does need a substantial amount of work in terms of the roof, the heating, uh, the water systems or whatever, but that they ha- are doing that um, thanks to support from benefactors mm. who donate money to them yeah. and have also supported their online fundraising. I was about ability. to ask that.
3: What are they doing for money?
6: Well, that's it, Peter. I mean, Sister Irene said yesterday she was asked, specifically asked about that because um, th- the judge said he wanted to finalise the planning matter. He said, look, it's gone on a long time. He said uh, he was applying the the leave no trace. Now, he quoted Latin himself in terms of his approach to this, that the site had been brought back to its original condition. There would be leaving no trace. The council said that under planning regulations, a fine of two and a half thousand euros could be uh, implemented unless there was proof given that the person had a difficulty in paying. So at that point, there was a little bit of evidence given about Sister Irene's income. And what she had said was that she receives a small amount from the state every week and that uh, the rest is basically given by benefactors and stuff. But she was at p- pains to stress that is not her money. That is the money given for furthering the work of the order, yeah. the prayer for work that they do or whatever projects that they get involved in. So she said, Look, that's not my money. Yeah. But the judge took the view that the benefactors, he said, would would like to see this matter finished. And what he said he would do is that he would impose a 500 euro fine on the planning issue. And he would request that or direct that Sister Irene make a five hundred euro
3: contribution towards Cork County Council's legal costs in bringing the case. The, the Carmelite Order of the Holy Face of Jesus—like, what do we know about them, Ralph? Where are they based? Are they recognised by the Church, or is it just Sister 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 Irene's own order?
6: Well, certainly within within Ireland, that there it's Sister Irene and Sister Anne Marie. Now, Sister Irene is sixty-two. Uh, Sister Anne-Marie is in her 20s. She's originally from New Zealand, and I think she professed her, her her final vows, I think about a year ago, 18 months ago, and she's basically said that she was attracted to the Order because she always wanted to live a life of prayer and contemplation, but they're not um, affiliated with or associated with uh, the Irish Church. Uh, they're not part of the diocese of of Cork and Ross. They don't come under diocesan control in terms of the bishop directing them about what to do. And um, they have made headlines, PJ, for a number of interesting issues over the last twelve months or so. There was an issue um, in a couple of the papers a few months back about a a balm or a lotion being sold, which a uh, had. Certain claims about its medicinal properties. Oh yes, I heard And this. there was a bit of an issue over that. And of course, most high-profile. It appears that Sister uh, Irene attended an event in Dublin last December, and that certainly got a lot of headlines in newspapers uh, on the basis that it was an exorcism, <laughs> uh, staged in Herbert Park, and um, essentially to cleanse the doll of any dark spirits and Irish society of any dark spirits. And that made a lot of headlines because that event took place,
3: of course, at the height of the COVID-19 controls. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Interesting people, to say the least. Ralph, thank you very much. Ralph Regal, a southern correspondent of the Irish Independent. Thanks, Ralph. And Ralph plays a very significant role in the Murder at the Cottage documentary, which uh, I'm getting towards the end of now. It's brilliant. The Sophie Tuscan to Plantea one. And Ralph actually wrote a, a decent book himself on the Sophie Tuscan to Plantier story. eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six on the comments of the chief super and children as young as twelve and the question that I put out there. You know, if your child is around town at the age of twelve on a Saturday night at half eleven, whose that on? Whose fault is that? It's not on the JPC, says Kate. It's not on the guards. It's on the parents. Message on WhatsApp says, is Mick Nugent for real? Uh, Of course parents should know where their kids are. Up to the age of at least 16, they should be taken to task for what the kids are up to. Frank says Mick seems to be displaying or downplaying it. If a 12-year-old is out after 10-ish, then it's child abuse. The parents obviously don't care. Caller says, of course it's the parents' responsibility. Look at it like this. I didn't have them, you didn't have them. Who else's responsibility are they? Come on of that now. Hi, PJ. If a child, and I stress a child at 12, is still out after 12, something isn't right in the home. I have a 12-year-old son. He has a phone. He's in every night in summer by 9 o'clock. Winter, not out at all. It's too dangerous, says Pat. I hate this line that nothing was done for the kids, so there's nothing for them to do. I'm sorry, but there's plenty G A clubs, clubs. The likes of these kids would never join a club. They're just out to cause trouble. And A.D., says, the problem is children have too much freedom. I work in the city and we see these children drinking all the time. Something needs to be done. But it's something that needs to be done by all of society. Plenty more coming in on this one. Hi PJ, just listening to you there but knowing where your child is. It's definitely the parent's responsibility to know where the child is at that time of night. Unless it's a sleepover or they're with their dad if the parents are separated. But always, always, always the parent's responsibility. Actually later this morning we'll be asking another question. Uh, and framing it around what age is too young or old enough to send a child to the corner shop? Like, would you send your 10-year-old to the corner shop for the paper or for a pint of milk? Have a think about that one. It'll be coming up a little bit later on. Would you think, would you send a 10-year-old now, I'm not talking about sending them to Tesco or Super Value or Dunn's or a shopping centre or into town on the bus. No. You have a little corner shop at the edge of the park as many places have. Or down the little bit down the road. Would you send a 10-year-old down to the shop for milk and eggs? And what, what age is, is old enough to give them that responsibility? Or would you worry too much about them when they're down there? That's all coming later. 1850 And like I said, if you're Wondering what is going to happen with the Delta variant, what's going to happen with reopening on the 5th of July. We're not going to bother with speculation that's in the papers this morning. They're full of it, even though the Taoiseach has actually said a few words to the effect that it could be somewhat in doubt. I'm going to ask the World Health Organization at 20 to 12 what they think we should do. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six.
2: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Corks 96FM. With
0: dairy-made Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
7: Corks 96FM's Select Irish. JC Stewart. Hey, I'm JC Stewart. Heart, Leah Hart. Hey,
1: I'm Leah Hart. Can you please- being a select Irish artist for the month really helped my song Older reach multiple new listeners.
2: Isaac
7: Butler. Hey, I'm Isaac Butler.
2: And I wish I could change the past.
7: Sophie doyle Ryder. Hi,
1: I'm Sophie doyle Ryder.
7: They're all select Irish artists.
1: Selectirish.cork's 96FM. was a great platform for me to showcase my music on Irish radio. And you
3: could be
0: next. If you think you've got what it takes to be our featured artist, check out 96FM.ie forward slash select Irish.
3: Another round coming up. Later this morning, a free speaker frenzy. I have another smart speaker to give away between now and midday. Tell you more about that as we get closer to it. Here's a sad little story. Uh, little boy went on his school tour. Well, that's what mom called it. Why should he miss out? Because he doesn't have a school place. They went to see Tom and Jerry at the cinema. They had popcorn and sweets, as you do. They got McDonald's afterwards, as you do. And they had a great day. Mum is Nicole, and little boy is Riley, my boy Blue. Hi, Nicole. Good morning to you.
8: Hi, PJ. How are you?
3: Good. I'm sure you had a lovely day, but you must have had tears in your eyes too, did you? For him?
8: Like Yeah, like, we had a brilliant day. Like, he had the best day ever, but sitting there and watching the reality of it, it's very sad.
3: So how come you had to do it for him yourself?
8: Um Riley hasn't been in school since December Um I and I hadn't said it for a a long while because of the way things are but I had to pull Riley out of the school in December Um obviously Riley's autistic and he's in an ASD unit Yes Um and it was for his safety that was why he was pulled out and so he's been at home with me full time since December Um was to it to
3: do with COVID?
8: No, no, nothing at all. Nothing, okay. Nothing, no. I won't go into the ins and outs. Okay, no, best, um, best not to, best not to. Yeah.
3: But there were, um, there were reasons you had to take him out.
8: Very, okay. Yeah, very major reasons. And it's not just really that this is happening to realistically, but I had to take him out. Um, obviously, like, you know, the fight we had to get him a school <laughs> place, we had to go to the high court. Do you know what which, I mean? Which so,
3: leads me to believe, I mean, obviously, it broke your heart to do that.
8: Oh, like, the last year has been one of the hardest years of my life.
3: Because we talked about how he was coping with lockdown with COVID, and school. Yeah. And all this was going on in the background. We don't need the details. But it's been a mm. tough old year for the little lad.
8: Very tough year for him. And, you know, he actually just, my heart breaks for him because, as, like, really, he's very academic. Like, he's ahead of his years academically, and I don't have a worry with him with the academic side of anything, but it's the social side. And he's seven years old. Like, he shouldn't miss out on the social side of school. And he asks me, like, is he going to make friends again? Do you know? It's things like that that will break your heart, and it's all down to a system that's completely broken.
3: And have you, know? you applied for a new place for him for September?
8: Yeah, we're one of the lucky ones to be quite honest, and we have a place for September oh, in grand. school. And he's been up there, and but then, like, it's going to be amazing, and I know he's going to love it. But I, I'm sick at handing my child over to a school. Why? Do you know? I did, with everything that happened with him. Um, like you know, you know the way Riley speeches, and like we were losing speech again. Like he mentally he struggled a lot the last year mm. um, and having him at home is like having a safety blanket realistically around him and i know that he's fine um and we've been very lucky that he's been on home tuition for the last only since april we got sanctioned um and he's come on at least bounds. Mm. and i mean like unbelievably he's so happy like he's the happiest I've seen him in a very long time. That's and I'm laughing brilliant. because when we had the conversation about COVID, I said to you he loves it. Like he loves being at home. Yeah. And he does. But
3: have you have you a July programme sorted for him?
8: Um no, we're not going to do it just because he's had home tuition himself for the last few months and if we were going to do it it was going to be the same kind of programme and to be right. quite honest, he needs a break. Give you him know? a break,
3: right. Yeah, right, he does
8: right. need a break. Um and I'm trying to prepare him for September, obviously, but I didn't want him to miss out on the things that other kids have, you know. So we said that we were going to do a school tour and he loves cinema, like loves it. And obviously because it was closed and locked lockdown, we couldn't go. Yeah. Um, so we booked the tickets and now you can book your food online. So he was delighted getting to book his food. and <laughs> He just had the best day. He stood up and, you know, he had no words at all. He stood up at the end of the film and <laughs> made an announcement to everybody that they could all go home. <laughs> it was hilarious, you know?
3: <laughs> you um, went to see Tom and Jerry. Well, that, that's, i got to tell you, and this big child here is saying it with not an ounce of shame in him, but it's one of the funniest little movies brilliant. I've ever seen. It's yeah, brilliant. very
8: good. And do you know what? He was lucky because he had, obviously his service dog, Willow, was with him, so he oh. said that his friend was with him. Um oh, brilliant. But that, as a man, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, Really is, do you know, and like. Has he tries, got any friends,
3: he, Nicole?
8: He does, and he doesn't. Like, he finds things hard, as in socially. Anyway, do you know, and yeah. because of his speech, PJ kids don't understand him. Do you know, mm. um, he he we I, my nephew is he'll be four in December, and they're take a seat, but they obviously don't see each other every day. Do you know what I mean? But Riley wouldn't be the child that would be going out playing with kids. Or going off on play days or anything like that because Ryan wouldn't allow it. So that's why he needs school because he needs to have kids to see every day, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the system, the system is absolutely broken and it's affected so many families, and we're just one of the ones that it has affected the last year. Um, and you're, as a parent, you're almost afraid to speak out about it. Why? because if you speak out about it you get punished and that's the reality of it it's happened to us do you know what I mean um, but I just got to a stage where I'm like no I'm not keeping quiet because like sitting and watching him on a school tour on his own and he was so excited because he actually thought it was a school tour mm. um, well that's, a,
3: that's brilliant on your be. that's great work by you Nicole and you should take yeah, a massive pat on your own back you shouldn't have to do it but yeah. pat yourself on the back because you've done a great... That was a brilliant thing for you to do for him.
8: But you can't... Like, he can't miss out on things. Do you know? It's not fair. And his two share is amazing and she's actually doing... Um, his favourite thing at the moment is the Golden Gate Bridge. He's just is fascinated by it. That's
3: his latest one.
8: Yeah. Has really he given up on this? Is, is the house you know, full
3: of signs still?
8: We've kind of gotten them out to the shed a little bit.
3: Okay. And <laughs> but, the lights, the police lights wasn't there. There have another one, wasn't yeah, and
8: the fire alarms. Yeah, fascinating. He goes extremely. Um... But she's doing a virtual tour with him on Friday as well for that. And they're going to the Golden Gate Bridge and he doesn't know about it. So when he finds that out, he's going to lose his life. Oh, but fantastic. These are things that have to be put in place because of a system that's broken, basically. Do you know, And it's, it's happening to more like Riley's just a drop in the ocean like that it's happening to. Um, well, at
3: least he's got somewhere to go in September and, God, and yeah. that's a huge weight of
8: huge and that was shoulders. the fear and like when I pulled him out I pulled him out with nothing nothing at all like I literally pulled him out and I was like if he has to stay home he has to stay home and there was yeah. people saying to me the tussler are going to come after you and I was like I can't leave him there um, and we're very, very lucky Rayleigh has a They wouldn't there. come?
3: Who told you that? They wouldn't come after you for that.
8: Oh, the, the of people now that said that because if you miss so many days... That's
3: nonsense, Nicole. Insane.
8: Yes, yes. They, if they, he they misses a number
3: a of days, control. if he misses a number of days, they will inquire with you. And yeah. if you have an explanation for them and say he's been looked after at home, they'll leave you alone.
8: Well, with the explanation that we had, there was nothing ever going exactly. to come. Exactly. Whoever, um,
3: whoever told you that was doing you a disservice and trying to scare yeah. you
8: and people but it is a lot of fear mongering with it as well and you have to you have to take a step back and actually look and say like what's the best for him and
3: I don't regret my decision. Well, if if you don't regret it, it was the right decision. And at least he's got somewhere to go in September. And I think he had a brilliant day out yesterday. And as usual, Nicole, you're doing a fine job with that young fella. And give him a high five for me, won't you? That's Nicole Duggan, my boy Blue. He's a lovely lad. Lovely little lad. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. And she's one of the lucky ones because they've got a place in September. And we'd all the talk with the Taoiseach earlier in the year about new school places and we all thought it was all being sorted. It kind of isn't, really. Um, And I'm hearing more and more about that the places are to be provided but there mightn't necessarily be enough places to go around. We'll catch up with those people again. Right, big announcement for jobs for cork this morning in the news professional consultancy firm accenture creating 500 jobs in ireland across the next three years the majority of them will be in a new regional base in cork and their their country managing director in ireland is alistair blair alistair good morning to you uh, good morning to you this is great news what are you doing here
9: Well, uh, we've, we've operated and worked from Cork for a long time. We acquired a company called Enterprise Systems Partners two years ago, specialists in the life sciences manufacturing area. And what we're doing is building on the success of that. And also, frankly, because the Munster region and Cork is such a hotbed and such a powerhouse in the life sciences industry and huge growth opportunities ahead, both for those businesses, but also for the people and the skills and the talent.
3: What is it that you do at Accenture?
9: So at Accenture, what we would be doing particularly in the life sciences area, is helping companies who are producing world class products for treatment for clinic for a uh, for um we treating illnesses that are both chronic as well as critical. And those products are becoming increasingly complex. So we're helping both with the manufacturing and the supply chain processes, but also the technology and capturing the data that you need. So for us, it's about getting and helping companies accelerate the production of those drugs, as well as making sure you have the data and the systems in place to support that growth.
3: So what kind of people will you be employing in this new centre? Oh, that's a great question.
9: The, 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 what we're looking for in the very short term is people with life sciences, manufacturing experience, people with R&D and laboratory experience as companies try and produce the drugs, design the drugs and produce the drugs more quickly. So specialists in the manufacturing process, if you like the production line, but also then building the technology skills that people can capture the data, data science skills. And we would say the digital skills that are going to accelerate Ireland as really a leader in this whole life sciences next generation.
3: So when do the first people start on site?
9: Um, we're already hiring. There are already jobs up. And we will continue to do that over the next three years. So people can log on to Accenture.ie and see the jobs. They're up there. And we're ready to get going.
3: All right, That's and- we're already hiring. Good luck with it and thank you very much for being with us on The Opinion. And that's Alistair Blair. He's the country MD for Accenture, hiring 500 people in Ireland over the next three years. The majority of them here in Cork in a new regional hub and they're hiring at the moment. Don't let anybody tell you that there's no jobs. Didn't McDonald's say 800 last week and then at the total other end of the scale, we've 500 here from Accenture. It's great. Really good. 1850-715-996.
2: Can we just talk? The
3: Opinion Line on Cork's
2: 96FM. With dairy-made premium
0: spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
3: the chief super the children as young as 12 are being found in town drunk uh, at the weekends, late at night midnight, drunk no, I'm sure not too many of them but they are being found and we're talking about the responsibility who's that on? is it on the guards? who is it on? well it's very, very, very much on the parents to make sure that they know where their child is Uh, I'll come back to it because we're getting a good response to that and also another parenting matter we'll get to later on the wonder of are we are we over bubble wrapping our children are we over Molly cuddling them a little bit Uh, you've heard bubble wrap parenting and then there's helicopter parenting and then there's apparently no parenting which I think sounds a bit like clearing every single obstacle from their lives so they never have to face any hardship that's what that sounds like to me which is not a stupid way to parent that's all coming in the next while 1850 996 however I mentioned at the top of the program that we're not going to deal in speculation that's in the papers today with regard to what might happen Over the reopening on the 5th of July, should we or should we not proceed with the reopening on the 5th of July, given that we are concerned about the rising level of the Delta variant of COVID-19? We hear in the last few days that one case in five that they're sequencing, that they're checking out one case in five is now the Delta variant of COVID-19. And bear in mind as well that sequencing, that's, in other words, checking out what particular form of COVID you have. That takes a bit of lab work. We're not sequencing anything like as much as the UK do. The UK have taken sequencing to a whole new level internationally. But based on the sequencing that we're doing, the amount of COVID, uh, Delta Delta variant COVID we're finding, it is worrying. Is it worrying enough to put off the reopening on the 5th of July, put it back for a couple of weeks. I think only time will tell that one. Maybe uh, my first or my next guest can can help with that. It's good once again uh, to catch up with Professor Luke O'Neill. Luke, good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. I don't know if you want to speculate on that and indeed maybe we will at the end um, but this Delta has now been followed in the early hours of the morning by talk of a Delta Plus. What on Hi, earth is that?
10: Yes, well, there's, there's talk of that indeed, Peter. That That's another one, basically. that's a slightly different to Delta. Very small number of cases there. I think there was three were reported. I mean, we can't keep jumping every time someone says something's changing, you know. So I think we've got to be a little bit cautious about reading those headlines, to be honest. I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at that for the moment. I'd wait for more information on that because it's very sparse, you know. I mean, the truth is, variants will keep cropping up. That's the way this virus is, you see. And every time it divides, there's a chance of a... You roll the dice again, you get a different one, you know. So mm-hmm. we've got to get ready for these variants and learn to live with them in many ways. Otherwise, we're all going to go mad, aren't we? I mean, I saw that headline. well. like, oh, God, I said, I bet the whole country gasped when they saw Delta Plus, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, I wouldn't be getting too panicky yet. It's, it's, the trouble is, overall, TJ, we're still in the middle of this, you know? And it's changing day by day, almost, you know? So, so it's a tricky one. How, how do you, if you're in the media, then how do you report it? Yeah. You don't to do want alarm people, necessarily. You want to keep them informed as best you can. So it's a really interesting time for, for science and this this sort of a whole, whole aspect of how things are changing.
3: We are delicately poised, aren't we, Luke, in that, well, in this country, in that we are getting a handle on vaccination. There's... A third of us now, a million people, fully vaccinated, and there's nearly three and a half million have at least one dose. It could move a bit faster in an ideal world, but we are getting there. While on the other hand, we have this worrying variant. And it's, I think we've spoken before, it's dovetailing the two. It's getting that balance right.
10: It is, that's right. And you see, there was good news, I think about maybe 10 days ago now, in the UK, where we know uh, Pfizer and AstraZeneca give very good protection against the Delta, you know, Mm. over 90% protection of hospitalization if you've had the two doses you know and even astrazeneca at one dose was given 71 percent protection and Pfizer was giving 90 percent with one dose you know so we know the vaccines are performing against the variant in terms of ending up in hospital and ending up getting very sick and that's what we would have predicted by the way mm-hmm. vaccines are very good you see at doing this and these are very these are, these are among the most powerful vaccines we've ever invented you see so so, so you got i think i'll we'll start with that the vaccines are working. Now, what that means is we've got to get the vaccine out, of course. That's always been the mission. Yeah. There's no difference to what it was before, in a sense. Yeah. You know? But now, more than ever, get the vaccine out as quick as we can. And they are trying. I mean, I think there's 400,000 400, doses projected this week, I think, for instance, you mm. see, which is great. That's a great number to hit, you see.
3: I was talking to Professor Liam Fanning from UCC yesterday on the programme, Luke, and, and he made a suggestion, and I said I'd bounce it off you. Other countries now have... Offer, have opened their vaccination programme literally to anybody over 18. Should we consider that at this point?
10: I would. I would. I'd be extremely bullish for you at this stage. Everything we can do to get everybody vaccinated as quickly as we can is what this game is now for definite. As I say, it was always that way, but now with the variants cropping up, uh, we have to get the vaccine as quick as we can. And it's just a question of logistics, I imagine. Now, remember, the HSC deserves huge credit because mm. they have really successfully rolled out this vaccine campaign. It's amazing how effective it's been. We're number one in Europe in many ways for vaccine uptake in certain age groups. We are in certain age groups, yeah. the 100% 100 uptake in the over 65. It's understandable, of course, that they want to get vaccinated, obviously. It may go down as you go down to the younger ages, but but Ireland really has performed extremely well in terms of getting... We're we're catching up with the UK, basically. We're ahead of Denmark. You may have seen that yesterday. So... In other words, we're doing really well. Let's just keep going. The end is in sight in many ways in terms of this vaccination campaign. Now, the second thing is, PJ, anticipate booster shots in the winter. That's a, that's a real possibility. Will, can will that, that be
3: for the vulnerable, um, Luke, or would it be for us all? As in the people who would always get a flu shot because they are asthmatic or have something like that. Would it be for the vulnerable or would it yeah. be for us all?
10: Just the vulnerable, yeah. The reason why we're all being done is to drive the virus out completely. You see, that's why everybody who's over eighteen is being vaccinated to get rid of the virus. But once we've got that virus right down to tiny levels, then you just give boosters in the winter. And then remember, there's evidence that even even the even the two shots might give you a year's protection anyway. You see, so but but to be on the safe side and with these variants crop, and there will be more variants you'd be sensible to plan for a booster campaign in the winter, probably starting October November. There's even talk of putting it in with the flu vaccine and you get two for the price of one. That's very sensible, you know. So I would definitely be planning aggressively for booster shots in the winter. Uh, mm. ma- mainly, again, because of these variants. We can't keep closing things down and a new variant pops up. That'll be unacceptable. And the way to stop that will be, will be booster shots.
3: Is there any danger, do you think at all, Luke, that a, va- a variant will turn up That's vaccine proof. That's the nightmare scenario. Is there any possibility of it?
10: It is. I mean, it is a nightmare scenario, but we just don't know. It's unlikely. Let's put it that way, because we know these vaccines are working against multiple variants. So the chance of another variant cropping up to dodge it isn't very likely. It's still a possibility, however. And Mm -hmm. again, the way to stop that would definitely be to get ready for that as well. In other words, track down these variants at every opportunity and then begin preparing vaccines against them, you Got see, because we can, we can make a vaccine against any variant quite quickly
3: now, which is great. That, so and that is a, good. That is that uh, is, is, what is, it, is it like just adding to the basic framework? You just go yeah. in and, oh, right, OK. okay. Exactly. It's a 100-day
10: turnaround. So let, let's say a new variant crops up and we can see it quickly and it looks a bit more malign than the older one much more maligned than Delta would be. Within 100 days, you'd have a vaccine available. And again, give that to the vulnerable, by the way, too. The vulnerable are the ones to protect, remember, because they're the most important in many ways. Yeah. They're the ones at risk of ending up in hospital and so on. So in other words, we, we, again, we can plan for the risk of new variants anyway already. We should be thinking ahead the whole time, mate. Yeah.
3: Um, in terms of the, everything else is, is one dose, or sorry, two doses, with the exception of, of Johnson & Johnson. How are they doing that? Like
10: they got they got away with this, Pj. In some ways, they they decided to do a single dose trial. You see, and they gave it a go. I suppose is the best way to put it. And it worked. I mean, that single dose of Johnson gave a really good response. You know, and the big question is, well, they need a booster. And they may be the first ones to go for, let's go for a booster in the the winter, you know, because obviously the one shot may not be as good as two shots. But still, that vaccine has performed very well, you see. So Mm -hmm. the the second shot gives you more durable protection that will go on for a lot longer, you know. And maybe Johnson will will go off the boil a bit. And they're measuring that, by the way, I mean, you can imagine now they're looking at the Johnson & Johnson one closely, trying to see if, if, if the antibodies are falling and so on, if there's the risk of infection and stuff like that. So we'll find out more about yeah. that vaccine this time. For the moment, though, it's a really effective vaccine. The, the, the you know,
3: research is obviously ongoing all yeah. over the place. Just in terms of transmissibility, again, we're coming back to variants and, and Delta and this one we're reading about now, Delta. We're hearing that transmissibility in the open air for Delta is higher than we'd be comfortable with. Is that that on your
10: mind? Well, it's higher. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt it spreads more. I mean, it's about 60% more spreadable, if you will, transmissible. So it's gone up a lot in terms of how it spreads. And that's obviously a concern because, you know, it'll spread more readily in, in a population then. But remember, PJ, the same public health measures will keep this one at bay as well. If you keep up with all the usual things of mask wearing, distancing and so on that will work as well this virus gets diluted massively in the air it's not as if this this delta can somehow escape that kind of dilution you know it still gets diluted in the open air so again if we just keep observing public health measures i mean the the issue of reopening then became a concern in the sense that if we all go indoors again and there's a more transmissible form that might present certain risks and that's why as you would have seen uh, the Taoiseach saying well we're not sure about July 5th or that closely you know yeah. That, that's why they're worried about that, because indoors is bad, remember. Outdoors is the usual thing. Outdoors is great. Indoors is bad. So, again, you can see whether there's a tiny hesitancy now about this new one, because it's, it's 60% more transmissible, and that makes it more difficult to contain indoors is the idea. But, again, if you mitigate, PG, if you have ventilation indoors, that works great, you know? Mm. So I guess I'll bet they'll look at that at the moment. and in, in the next week or two, They'd be looking very closely at seeing if they can go back indoors on
3: the 5th of July. And and I wouldn't envy them because it's a a tough call at the moment. I'll I'll come to that one momentarily. Frank has raised the issue, which I think I just discussed with you in a previous uh, chat, Luke. Sputnik. uh, It's not been recognised here yet. What's happening with Sputnik?
10: That's a good question. I'm quiet. There's no update on that, really. haven't heard much about that. I know the EU were looking at it. The EMA were looking closely at it. It could be we've lots of other vaccine available, you see. And Pfizer now has ramped up production hugely. And by the way, as we saw a couple of months ago, they're going to start making the Pfizer one in Ireland even, you know. So clearly they're going to have loads of Pfizer, loads of Moderna, loads of AstraZeneca is there as well. We might need Sputnik, basically. So maybe they've slowed down the analysis because they figure we don't really need it, you know.
3: Okay, okay. Now, lastly, and I I, I don't want to get into speculation, but then again, at the same time, I'm kind of asking you to do so. What do you think, Luke? Do you think that under the present circumstances, as we are here this morning, we do need to start thinking again about the 5th of July?
10: It's it's tricky, Peter, to be honest. I would be looking closely at it. I, every day I'm looking at the UK, because remember, the Delta is rampant over there, very widespread, They've slightly higher vaccination rates for us than us. If in the next week there's more and more hospitalizations and illness, uh, with with Delta in the UK, that'll make them more reluctant here. So it's a day by day basis thing. In many ways, we do very hard to call at the moment because mm. at literally... the moment our
3: hospital admissions are the lowest in brilliant. months. Yeah, it's
10: br- brilliant. Yeah, but but you see, the UK is like our canary in a coal mine kind of thing. You know, over the next, literally in the next two weeks, we'll see what's happened there because Delta's been running there for for months now. You know, so we'll see what happens in the UK. And I'm I'm optimistic. I think remember the vaccines are working. That's the great news, and, and, and there's a decreased risk of hospitalization anyway. Let's just hope that trend continues, you see. Uh, but again, you can see why they're just watching that closely, and literally is in the next couple of weeks. But well, I would be optimistic. I think, I think, given that we have a high level of vaccination here already in our vulnerable group, especially given that the vaccination campaign is running really fast, you know, you might, you might take a chance on July 5th, basically, with the plan as it's configured, you know. Oh, but obviously, nice. they're, they're, they're saying, look, well, hang on. They, he doesn't want to be a hostage to fortune, does he? He's a T shock in a sense. You know, so he's saying, look, we're keeping an eye on it, you know. The intention fully, though, is to reopen July 5th. I mean, that's still the situation as far as I can see from what they're saying.
3: Okay, leave it there for today and thank you as always. That is Professor Luke O'Neill, 1850-715-996. If you take one message from that conversation, or two messages actually, from that conversation with Luke O'Neill. One, the vaccines are working. And keep that in the back of your mind. The vaccines are working. And point number two, if you start running around every time you read about a new variant, you'll drive yourself mad. For the most part, pretty much any variant that this thing chokes up, the vaccines are working. If a variant arrives that the vaccines have a problem with, then they can rework the vaccines in the space of, what, 100 days. So the vaccines are working. And that is the best news. So regardless of what's happening with Delta, regardless of what's happening... The vaccines are working. Take that one and and keep repeat it like a mantra. 1850 715 996. Can we
2: just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy
0: Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West
2: Cork Cream. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
0: Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 96
2: 96. On
3: Cork's 96 FM. So, on the subject of youngsters age 12 being found. In town late at night by the guards, some of them drunk. Jim Flanagan's contacted the opinion line. Morning, Jim.
11: Morning. How are you doing, PJ? Good. You good. What would
3: you like to say, sir?
11: Well, I'm just wondering how many of those 12 years olds are on the streets looking for the parents because they wake up and there's nobody in the house and they're afraid and what's happening and like it, it is happening. I think it's uh, I think it's a big problem. And uh, that was just a thought I had while you were uh, giving out your. It'll rank yourself what'll go what's happening here because a lot of the kids from 10 Adams have been left at home and mind the younger ones if that's the case it is. But if there's one or two in the house and they wake up and they just don't know what's happening, do they go and touch with the parents?
3: That's a fantastic they do, they point, Jim. That is a fantastic yeah. point. You know, and I have to say I wouldn't have thought of it. But I yeah. suppose those children, those misfortunate kids who are out looking for some wayward parent, they're not getting drunk. So we have 12-year-olds out there getting drunk.
12: Yeah, but, uh, yeah, see, but what does that come back to? That comes back to the parents,
11: surely. It comes back to the parents. Yeah. You know, I mean, because if your kids aren't at home, they're out somewhere. And if they're out somewhere, they shouldn't be out because there's too late at night for them to be out. Yes, yes. So it's it just, look, it's a big problem, and drinking Ireland is a big problem anyway. We know, mm. oh, and answer the nicest that you do go out and have a couple of binds and meet people and tell a story and you know but like uh, just uh, for the kids if they're in that environment, is that a good environment to be in,
3: yeah, that's an interesting one, and i uh, I was just saying there before the news at ten o'clock, like if you look at the guidelines under which child services work, like if a child is found in the street. Drunk at the age twelve and brought home by their by the guard. That is a, a matter for referral to social services. But absolutely. equally so, equally so, if a child is misfortunate enough to be around, walking the streets at eleven o'clock at night looking for mummy or daddy because they woke up and found them gone, that is also a child referral. Yeah,
11: absolutely. And, and uh, the other big problem I would see is that not alone for twelve year olds if you're 30 years of age if you're 40 years of age and you're alone you're vulnerable on the streets yeah I'm very vulnerable because I'm just reading again in, in the paper about that lad that killed his father and, and, and uh, allegedly they killed his yeah, father yeah
3: that's and, a, father a, an ongoing people. an ongoing case yeah. so I know the one you're talking yeah. about the one the one in yeah. Dublin definitely yeah Yeah.
11: yeah. Shocking. Shocking. Uh. But anyway, uh, I, I'd just be more concerned why't that uh, is, there, is there a support mechanism in place for the kids mm-hmm. to be helped in that situation?
3: Fair point, fair point, and thank you so much for making it, Jim Flanagan. Every so often you get a call to the opinion line in the middle of a discussion that's going one way and you go, ah, hang on a second now, he has a point. So if a child is around town at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, are they maybe looking for a parent that they've woken up and the parents are out. Now we'll continue with that discussion in a while. Let me go to George. George, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ, How are you? Good, good, good. You're enjoying the Midsummer Festival, and you wanted to thank someone.
13: I want to thank uh, I want to thank all the people that um, um, welcomed a group of us uh, to their houses over the weekend. On Friday, we did what was called art gifts. For the um, for the cork. Uh, That's right. You were you festival. were one of those, were right, yeah? Great. I was one of those, yeah. And um, and uh, and it was fantastic. It was gigging again.
3: Mm. This was where someone got onto the Midsummer Festival and wanted to give someone a surprise gift, and someone like exactly, you turned yeah. up outside and played a few songs oh, for ten minutes. And was exactly it the, was it the yeah. band or was it just yourself? his line is coming and going there at an awful rate guys I'm going to give it back to you for a second and take a break and see if we can't clean that up
0: can we just talk
3: The Opinion
2: Line on Cork's 96FM. With
0: dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your
7: guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Hermitage Green have announced a long-awaited return to Cork for a show taking place at Cork Opera House on Thursday, October 21st. The band have also announced a new album, High Generation, set a September 2021 release with tickets available now from corkoperhouse.ie Access all areas. In 2020, Triscoll and the National String Quartet Foundation celebrated the 250th anniversary of the birth of Beethoven. During a year-long series of concerts, they featured the Vanbrugh, Ficino and 2020 Quartets, and the concerts are available on demand this week until June 27th from triscollartscentre.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access.
2: All areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850
0: 715 996.
3: On Quarks 96 FM. Unfortunately, George's phone uh, is not going to cooperate today. He just wants to thank everybody who welcomed them to their homes. Over that art gift weekend, and also I hope we want to thank the organisers of the Midsummer Festival for coming up with such a deadly idea. He was out there with uh, John. John Spillane was out there as well, doing doing some visits, and I think Magella Culler was doing some visits. So that's what George wants to do. thank everybody who welcomed them to their homes, and also to thank the Midsummer Festival for organising it. Okay, happy to help him with that, even if the phone line wasn't inclined to cooperate. On children as young as 12 being found in town drunk, which is from the chief superintendent, Barney McPolin, at the Joint Policing Committee. I'm not making this up before anybody accuses us of sensationalizing.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.
3: John, PJ, where are 12-year-olds getting alcohol from? Isn't that the bigger problem? It's a problem, but I wouldn't call it a bigger one, John. What are they doing out there at midnight to get it in the first place? But yeah, where are they getting it from? They'll get it anywhere. If they want it, they'll get it. Uh, Paul or PJ, if your 12-year-old is out at 12 at night, it's not that they should know where they are. The reality is that they don't even care that they're out. Andrea, with regards to the parents, yes, they should know where the 12-year-olds are at midnight or a Friday or Saturday, absolutely. But the question is, what's a 12-year-old doing out that late on their own in the first place? Why people assume kids should be out late is okay as if they were older. Of course there are lots to take into consideration, child abuse, negligence, etc. Perhaps the streets are giving them what they can't find at home. But children should be allowed to be children and go out that late and no restrictions. Well, that's negligence. Thanks for reading. Councillor Paddy Dineen Hi party Hi PJ I agree with you entirely It's the parents' responsibility To be aware where their children are at all times More so at midnight If they're in the city centre It is a child welfare issue If the up's no good Then there needs to be penalties or fines Appropriately handed down to the parents In some cases The 12 year olds are intoxicated Other serious issues arise And it should be dealt with The chief super is correct To ask the question of parents as to whether they know where their children are at that hour. To the parents of the youths who are videoed causing a disturbance on the public streets, I ask you, watch the footage and see for yourself what your kids are up to. Children out after dark will find the parents and report it to Tusla, says a message. What a child sees as normal will influence what they will consider doing. The kids out drinking on the streets possibly see drinking as a normal part of life. And Bear says, finally, in this batch morning, PJ, parents are responsible for their children, but I have to say the social services have made it very hard for them. If parents give out to them, the child would bite back and threaten parents with a phone call to social services. It's crazy. And thank you. Thank you to Bear. 1850 996 We're kind of staying with kids for our next topic of conversation. Just how much parenting is right and just how much parenting is too much parenting? Are we inclined to wrap them in too much bubble wrap these days? The the thinking question for this is, you have a 10-year-old. 10-year-old, okay? And you have a corner shop, maybe, I don't know, five minutes walk away, three minutes walk away, down the end of the park, or down the end of the road, not even across the road. And you need eggs or you need milk. Or you need butter. Or you need a bag of a bag of carrots for the dinner. Would you send the 10-year-old? Do you send the 10-year-old to the shop on their own? Are they too young at that stage? Some people think they are. Some people think they're not. And it's part of this uh, overprotective parenting. There was an article in The Examiner uh, recently from child psychotherapist Coleman Noctur, just there actually yesterday, where he was talking about just how protective we are of children these days. And he made the point that, on the one hand, we must be there for our children. We must validate them and support them. And on the other hand, we need to encourage them to be independent, to be resilient, and to be able to overcome adversity. Uh, There's a man called Seamus Mulconry who's the Secretary General of the Catholic Primary School Managers Association. He was speaking at an Oireachtas committee and he accused parents of bubble wrapping their children. Not too sure whether Coleman Nocter actually agrees or not. But he did say it's a challenge for parents that if you underprotect you run risks for your children. If you overprotect you run risks for your children. He talked in the article about his own childhood when he was ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, he'd head off with his friends on their bikes for the day and they'd cycle out into the country and watch go to a neighbour's farm, they'd take the bikes off, go to take off the bikes, go to a lake, have a swim, go fishing. They'd they'd make their own day, they'd make their own amusement, and then they'd go home in the evening wrecked and starve with the hunger. You can't really do that anymore because parents just wouldn't feel comfortable letting their children do that in the modern world. It's a much different world. But he does raise the point that they learned resilience from that. And he finishes by saying he's an anxious parent, but he does plan to allow his 10-year-old to go down the shop on his own for the first time. We've done it many times together, but this will be his chance to do it himself. And he raises that question at the end of the piece. Do we have to give our children a little bit of leeway and let them develop toughness and resilience? And Dr. Mary O'Kane, who's an Associate Lecturer in Psychology and Early Childhood Education and an author, uh, was reading that and responding to it and I think giving it a big thumbs up, Mary. Good morning to you.
4: Good morning, PJ. Lovely to talk to you.
3: And to you. Have parents become too protective, I think, is is the key question here.
4: And it's a difficult one, PJ, isn't it? Can I just start by saying the 12-year-olds out at midnight is a completely different issue because for me, that's a child welfare issue. That's, That's a whole other level. But... What Coleman was saying about letting his 10-year-old go down the road to the shop. They've done it together um, and now he's going to be brave and he's going to let the 10-year-old do it himself. And I was in complete agreement with him. I think very often as parents, we're, we're nervous, but it's so important that we allow our children a little bit of independence um, and a little bit of freedom. Bunny, the research, PJ, on resilience... Tells us that in order to be strong and resilient, to have good self-esteem, our children really need to feel capable. And what I was saying online yesterday was, I think we've become the playdate parents that we're so scared of letting our children have any freedom that we're starting to overprotect them, and it's not good for them.
3: Like the world is a far more dangerous dangerous place than it was when I was ten. That tends to be what most parents say. The world is not as safe as it was when I was ten, when you were ten. Is that true or is that just a perception?
4: And, you know, I'm so glad you said that, PJ, because we do know, I mean, we look at even traffic, for example. I mean, obviously, there's way more traffic than when I was a kid. But I think because we have, um, say, my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, and they gave their children that freedom and they believed their children would be safe. So because of that, they thought, no, our children are absolutely fine out there. However, because of um, stories that we heard that maybe our children weren't always safe and maybe our neighbourhoods are a different place now. I think we are overestimating the risks. And it's about safe risk-taking. It's as if we did a complete U-turn, I think it was my generation, that we we overestimate the dangers in the world. And we've become so scared that we are completely overprotective. I know I was laughing listening to you talking about the, the snowplow parenting and you know, the helicopter and whatever. And I have been that parent. What, what is Snowplow? Is
3: it what I think it is? Is it that you literally go ahead of them and clear you every do. obstacle they're going to meet?
4: Yes, and I think we tend to do it, and as I said, I've been there, we tend to, we. I I have this theory that there's pressure on parents today to be perfect, a pressure that was not on our parents, our grandparents, so because of that we kind of get a little bit controlling, and we want to clear their paths completely, so we make life perfect for them, and the idea of helicoptering is you're kind of hovering over them, and if anything goes wrong, we jump in. And that's not good for their confidence. It's not good for their esteem. Um, Research on anxiety tells us anxiety issues in children are growing and growing and growing. And overprotection is one of the the reasons Mm. that we are concerned about. That is, we're creating anxious children because we're constantly hovering and not letting them realize that they are strong and capable themselves.
3: And then put it to me on this program a number of years ago, Mary, he said I have to protect my children the world is a horrible nasty place and I have to protect them from it it's a dangerous place and I have to be between them and it and I thought, what happens if you're not there?
4: I that's a natural instinct, and I think every one of us as parents can kind of get that. You know, this sort of mama bear thing comes out when we think our children are at risk. It's a completely natural instinct to want to protect them. And in fact, one of look at the twelve-year-olds out at midnight. You know, one of our jobs as a parent is to shelter for our ch- our children, to care for them, to guide them. However, it, and this is a balancing act. It's also our job to encourage them to become independent, to let them realize how capable they are and it's a bit like Coleman saying he's letting the 10 year old go to the shop by giving them that little bit of freedom slowly slowly in baby steps they're growing more and more capable they're growing stronger they're not as afraid of failure because they're learning that they're strong and as you say we we can't be there all the time hovering over them
3: Mm. I'm conscious and here we are discussing this in the media the media, I think, plays a little bit of a role in this sometimes. When I when I talk to anxious parents, because some people are fully convinced, for example, that there's a pervert at every street corner.
4: Yeah, and and that's not true. And I think I mean we've had some high profile cases. I know my one of my children would be around the same age as Madeline McCann, and I think because there have been these really high-profile cases. And in all honesty, because also we have heard... you know, very true stories about abuse of our children, and um, but these things did happen and and happen. However, it had shifted our view on risk. As I said, I think we have become so fearful that we are really we have come that full circle, and we're not doing our children any favours, even in terms of play. And I'm, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying that your 12 year old year old out at midnight, I mean, absolutely not. But even if you think about um, playing out The road, like when I was young, as we get out there and play with your friends, and Mm -hmm. you're in the front garden and there's no parent hovering. By allowing children to do that, we're giving them the opportunity to learn all these social emotional skills. They're learning problem solving. They're learning self regulation. They're learning sometimes they have to fight the battle. They're learning when to step back, and so they're all these skills that they are learning through free play. Mm -hmm. And if we deprive them of that free play, if we always control their learning opportunities. Then they're missing out on these these important skills. You know, our, our efforts to protect them are actually hindering them. Yes. Yeah. So, and that's where the balance comes in. Like, when we, w- we When, really I, when I, I was a kid, about... there
3: was no such thing as a play date. Get
4: <laughs> yeah. out there I'm and nothing. play. <laughs> that's my generation, we we are, the, and I think it's probably mostly mums if I'm honest, and I mean as I said I am that woman, we became this play date generation, and PJ, when I think back to when my eldest was young I mean, we're on a play date, and you'd hear a yell from the back garden, and every parent would jump up and we'd go running out and we'd be hoping that ours was the injured child and not the one that's done the injuring or we'd be in big trouble, but we'd all go running out and we intervene in every little argument, in every little thing that goes on with them. sometimes we need to step back from the child give them a little bit of um a little bit of room to maneuver allow them to show us how capable they are very often they can work things out with each other if we give them the space to do it
3: yeah because you'd worry the, the amount of protection that is there for some kids what if and it's a dreadful scenario yeah. but what if mom or dad suddenly aren't there anymore
4: I know. And funny, I must pop up a thing on Facebook later because there's research about this and research about how um, our views on risk and how that impacts our children. Um, And I will, if anyone's interested, I'd love to hear their views. I'll pop it up this afternoon. But I think if we really come back to what the research tells us about overprotection, it doesn't work. It genuinely doesn't. And you know, in in psychology, we talk about scaffolding our children, and you think, okay, I'm going to see my child as if they are this building. And you know when you're starting to build a building, and the bricks are maybe a little bit wobbly, and you have scaffolding up there. And that's our role. We're scaffolding them. But once they start to become strong... We step back a little bit. And even if they make little mistakes, those little mistakes in really low-stakes circumstances are good for them. They remove a fear of failure. So it's very important. Instead of controlling them, we kind of think, I'm the scaffolding on the building. I'm there for support, but I know when to step back sometimes.
3: And that's a skill in itself. Pleasure to speak with you, Dr. Mary O'Kane, associate lecturer in psychology and early childhood education, and the author of a book called "Perfectly Imperfect Parenting." I think that's fantastic advice. I have to say, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. There's the question, though. So, Col- Colm Nocturne puts it in his, or Colman Nocter puts it in his article that this summer he is going to give his youngster of ten. A message to do on their own in the local shop. Now assuming the shop is safe to access, I'm not saying they should be crossing a motorway, but would you give your child of 10 a message, run a message to the local shop on their own? Would you even contemplate doing that? Or would you think or do you believe the world is too dangerous to let them do that? And if that's what you believe, then what age is old enough to finally give them the responsibility, the solidity, the, I suppose, the trust that they can go to the shop? It's an interesting little concept. I'd like your thoughts. What age would you let a smallie go to the shop for bread or milk or the paper? Maybe not the eggs, they might be inclined to drop them, but bread or milk or the paper. What age would you let a smallie go on their own? 1857-15996. 1857-15996.
2: Cork's 96FM's Free Speaker Frenzy With
0: Blackpool fully opened up It's great to be back See blackpool.ie Do you want
3: it?
12: I never felt this good
3: Right, let's do it Another Free Speaker Frenzy Giveaway So what I want you to do is Text me the word speaker Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696 Along with your name the word speaker and your name, do it now. We call someone back in a few minutes and they have to give me the magic words to win that smart speaker. But I'm looking around the various people predicting weather over the next few days. Alan at Carla Weather is really struggling with the weekend. The two apps that I use are arguing with each other like two cats in a bag over what this particular weekend is going to bring it seems to be a particularly difficult weekend to predict looking into next week we look as if our weather might come f- we might be in for some real summer weather by middle of next week for a few days at least let us go to uh, ucc climate researcher Kahal nolan who's always got access to the best of the models Kahal good morning to you a very good morning what is coming because it's been it, for, it seems very hard for any of the any of the the apps or any of the anything to to, produ- to pick up on it,
14: it is a little bit tricky, I suppose, the forecast over the course of the next week to ten days. Looking ahead towards the weekend first, I suppose, on Saturday and Sunday, a ridge of high pressure is expected to build in across the country. Now that will bring pretty settled conditions for the majority. Of people. There is some uncertainty with regards to the south of the country. And the reason for that is we expect to see a small area of low pressure located just off the northwest coast of France. But it's expected to be close enough to the country that with southeasterly winds, it may generate one or two heavy showers at times. They're most likely across the southern half of the country, so certainly across parts of Cork but they're very much hit and miss, and that's the difficulty we have with predicting conditions at the weekend. Mm -hmm. It's trying to determine where the cloud is expected to break up and, of course, where those showers could pop up and develop.
3: It does look, though, does it, that we have some proper summer coming next week.
14: It is likely that next week we see that ridge of high pressure intensifying and it pushes to the northeast of Ireland. Now, when we see high pressure systems to the northeast of Ireland at this time of the year, it tends to feed in a very warm south to southeasterly airflow across the country coming up from the very warm continent at this particular time, which is experiencing heat wave conditions in many parts of Europe at the moment. So some of that warm air is expected to make its way up across the country next week, certainly so from next Tuesday onwards. That will bring a rise in the temperatures. They are expected to go up to possibly as high as the mid-20s in parts 25, 26, maybe a 27 over some parts of the country. But again, with that, it is worth emphasising that it probably won't remain dry in all areas at all times, there is expected to be instability in the atmosphere and with that you could possibly see maybe one or two afternoon
3: thunderstorms developing right. in place. I read a very interesting article recently, Cahill, about the Irish weather and and what is going on with our weather. And I wonder how, how accurate you'd see this. So here we are at the, in Ireland, particularly the south of Ireland, we're caught between a European weather system that has summer high summer at the moment, and an Atlantic weather system that looks to spoil that. And we're caught in between the two. And whichever one is stronger on the day is the one we get. Is that an accurate description?
14: In ways it's an accurate description. I suppose our general location in terms of being at the edge of Europe, it means that we certainly experience what we would typically call battleground scenarios, for want of a better expression. We are very much at the winds of the Atlantic and dependent upon its particular moods and flows and the location of the jet stream really dictates the type of conditions that we will experience at any given time. Now, at the particular present moment, it looks as though we're particularly caught in one of those battleground situations. If you look outside today, it's pretty overcast, it's pretty misty from where I'm recording from now at the moment. And essentially, that's in relation to the line that's drawn between these two battlegrounds, these two distinctive types of weather to the south and the southeast of Ireland, very warm, it's very hot. Summery conditions to the north to the northwest, it's much, much cooler, colder than average conditions and at the moment today we're just caught in that line. Next week we expect to see that battleground essentially move well to the northwest of the country and it'll allow that warm, summery conditions to spread up across us and really that's what we look for at this particular time of year
3: when we want to see a more prolonged spell of summery conditions. Okay. Well, we look forward to that. And thanks, as always, for being there for us. That's Cahill Nolan, climate researcher at UCC. Weather a bit unpredictable for the weekend, but next week we get some proper July. I like that. I like the sound of that. I must buy some charcoal and buy some meat and will be a couple of those evenings in the garden next week, not so certain about this weekend, we'll take it as it comes right, are we good?
2: Cork's 96FM's free speaker frenzy, with Blackpool fully opened
0: up, it's great to be back see blackpool.ie Do you want it?
8: I never felt this good
3: We're not going too far today heading up to Glen Heights Park in Ballyvalan Madeline, hello here how are you? How are you getting on? Good, thank you. A place I'm very familiar with. <laughs> what are the magic words you got to give me? Play Corks 96 FM. Play Corks 96 FM. Your latest winner on Free Speaker Frenzy, and good to have it. All right.
8: Great. Thank you so much, PJ.
3: Cheers, Madeline. Give it back have to the last Joe. of I sort of think that, and and you too. So. She just want to chat a bit more with you there. All right, that's it. Another one coming up later.
12: Can we just talk?
3: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairymaid Premium
0: Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
2: The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
0: Email opinion at
2: 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
0: On Cork's 96FM.
3: Yeah, good one for Madeline there before the news up in Glen Heights winning the free speaker with Cork's 96FM free speaker frenzy. Remember, listen in across the day to win. Simon's got another one for you. This afternoon, listen for the cue to text or WhatsApp. And then when we call you back, just tell us, play Cork's 96 FM and you'll win that smart speaker. It's free speaker frenzy with Blackpool, fully opened up and great to be back. See blackpool.ie. still listening to win only on Cork's 96 FM. A lot of stuff coming in about letting your youngster go to the shop at 10.00. For a small message like the milk or the bread or the paper. Yes, says this one on WhatsApp, to grow their confidence and learn about the environment around them. Frank says happy days being sent to the local shop with a note for the highly secretive sanitary tolls for one of his sisters. We were like a major drug dealer as the shopkeeper had them in newspaper inside a brown bag. Oh yeah, Brendan O'Carroll does a great piece about that He goes, I, was, I was always sent to the shop He said, for nothing I'm going to the shop for nothing <laughs> Patrick says, yes I did the shopping for my neighbour when I was 10 I even got her cigarettes and I'm still alive And still a non-smoker Nice one Hi PJ, very interesting When I was a child, all the children ran for messages for neighbours as well We'd ask a big person to help us cross a busy road Times and traffic were different our mothers were at home all the time, and the front door was open. We knew we could go home at any time, to safety and security. We used to be sent to the shop as kids with a note for the message, tampons, <laughs> and the shopkeeper would wrap them in newspaper. I think that was a thing. I was never, God Almighty, thanks, I was never, I was never sent for that kind of thing. But yeah, I heard the story. But the, the shopkeeper would give you a brown paper bag, right, and inside it was something wrapped in newspaper. And you carried it home like like a major deal of something. And sure, was only for the sister. Do you know what I mean? And you were sent down for it at 10. But you were still learning to go to the shop on your own to make your way there and make your way back safely. And you know the other thing too, right? Back in those times, and it's not a million years ago. We're not talking about the dark ages here. We're only talking about the 90s and the 80s, maybe. You'd be sent. There wasn't a mobile phone in your pocket. So that if you went down to the shop and you have got into a bit of trouble or you fell and you cut your leg or anything like that, you know, you didn't have a mobile phone to ring mammy to come down and pick you up. You got home and you got yourself sorted and you learned a bit of toughness and a bit of resilience. But is 10 too young to let a kid go to the shop on their own In 2021 For a small, simple message Is 10 too young? Your thoughts welcome We'll keep them coming At 1850 715996 Just on those Midsummer Festival Art gifts Jan was on to us From Ballon Lock She said, I had one of those gifts PJ, it was fab Ryan Morgan visited And sang in my garden I so miss live music Thanks to Cork Mids- Midsummer Festival for making that happen. That must be some experience. He's got some voice, Ryan Morgan. Imagine, imagine open your front door and there he is in the middle of the front garden singing. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Jan. Okay. Uh, the Community Air Ambulance people have brought the, bought a new helicopter. This is the Irish Community Air Ambulance. They bought in a new helicopter. It is described as the fastest civilian helicopter in the world, and it's been launched at their base in North Cork. And there with them was 20 year old Clodagh Lynch, who's from Bantry. And Clodagh, you previously benefited from the services of the community air ambulance. Good morning to you.
15: Hi, uh, yes, I did benefit last year on the 30th of May. I suffered a cardiac arrest, um, I was sitting at home talking to my mom and alone and um, I just stopped talking I stopped breathing
12: What? Um, You're only 20?
15: Yeah So it I was only it was a week before my birthday so I was only 19 and it happened
3: And you were down in Bantry was it? Yeah Right Describe describe what happened do you remember what happened?
15: I have no recollection of that day
3: Right Crikey and you just collapsed I just. Yeah. Crazy.
15: Yeah. I was beside my mother, who was a nurse. Right. So she was able to perform CPR immediately and keep air going to my lungs. Um, And luckily, my brother happened to arrive on the scene, so he was able to alert the medics. Right. Um,
3: So you needed to be got to hospital and gotten there quickly, so the helicopter came.
15: Yes. Yeah, so they were working on me for, I'd say it was nearly an hour um, before I was taken into the helicopter and transferred to CUH. Nice. Um So I was in a coma then for about 10 days. Um,
3: What's the next thing you remember?
15: Um, waking up in hospital, um, I was out of it within for another about 10 days, nice. uh, so I was very weak when I woke up. And um, I had no muscles in my legs or in my hands. Um so it was, bit, it was, tough.
3: I'd it was say tough. it was. It was an awful fright. And what did they tell you had happened?
15: Um, my heart had stopped. Wow. Um I thought I didn't really understand it either. Um yeah. I didn't have that frame of mind at all. Yeah. yeah. Um so I, I didn't understand why I was in hospital or what happened.
3: Wow. Um, wow. Nice. how are you now?
15: I'm good. I'm good, um, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but it's been a year now, so I'd want to be <laughs> fairly good. <laughs>
3: yeah, I, I suppose seeing Christian Eriksson the other night was yeah. to, that, that brought it all back. I suppose did it.
15: Um, it is, but like I said, I was out of it for so long. Um, like I, I didn't experience it. It was my family yeah. that experienced the most of it um, yeah. and the happiest of us. Yeah.
3: Uh, well, at, at least the good news is that you're here and hopefully back to good health again. And it, it was the helicopter getting to you that played a massive role in that. day. there, Cloda, because Michal Sheridan is Chief Executive of the Irish Community Air Ambulance. Michal, good morning. Good morning, PJ. These are the kind of stories that we don't hear, but they happen every day.
16: Uh, they do, they do. So, you know, Cloda is a real example of how the system works well, um, also how her mom knowing how to do chest compressions uh, w- was so important because uh, without that it, it, it could have been a different story for Clodagh so her mum's knowledge which is knowledge anybody can learn uh, was vital And where, w- where we come into it then I suppose is uh, if you take today for example we have two advanced paramedics on board the air ambulance yeah. and they're uh, getting on scene. Um, They're able to really just start to do what's necessary to obviously, as, as close said there were minutes ago, how long they were working on Clotha, um, you know, to make sure that she was in a position to get to hospital and, and then mm. recover. But, you know, the speed, we were there. So there in 15 minutes. Um, and then obviously the transfer from Bantry to CUH took 15 minutes. So I'm sure lots of people know. Along that drive might be, and yeah. that's really where we bring the the added as- getting the medical
3: advanced, yeah, you, the advanced you get par- the that, that, that phone isn't the best, Michal. You get you get the person stable, and then you get them to hospital as as soon as as humanly possible. And like you said, the advanced paramedics, like unless you've seen them work, you don't realize these people are the best.
16: These people are these people are very experienced. Uh, the crew that were on that day, Paul Trainer and, and James Ward, are. Very experienced advanced paramedics. They were supported, obviously, on the ground by national air, 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 national ambulance service air crew or ground crew. So, like that's something I think that's important to say as well. Is this is a partnership between ourselves yeah. and the National Ambulance Service? We provide the the logistics and the aircraft, and the medical crew on board are National Ambulance Service. So, you know, it's really a proof of a multi-agency approach yeah. and working and working well.
3: Tell me about the new helicopter, Mihal. That's been a big a, a, a big acquisition.
16: It, it is, actually. I'm standing looking at it because I'm in Rakul and Claude, I'm seeing Claude off in the distance. I've had to go down the fields for a good reception. Um, yeah, it's it's red. I mean, people in Cork obviously will be thrilled that it's red. Uh, so it's um, it, we've gone back to our original colour, which is red and yellow. Uh, really what's different, I suppose, about this is um, it's it's very visible. So people will, will be, get to know it and see it. And in terms of what it brings that's different, um, it brings a, a bigger aircraft in terms of the cabin inside, which is important from the perspective of transferring patients. It's more comfortable for the patient. There's more space for the crew inside. Um, it also travels faster. Uh, so we know that the crew are able to fly at about 300 kilometers per hour, which, again, is important if you're in a situation like Cloda or anybody else's. Um, and importantly, as well, we can take on more fuel um, or carry more load. And bringing on more fuel, that means effectively that potentially the crew could stay out for a second or third tasking without the need to land either here at Cool or into Cork Airport or Shannon gotcha. uh, to refuel. So it, it keeps the
3: service alive. In and you know, how is it off. all funded, Michal? Uh
16: Through fundraising, something you guys know very well um, from your recent successes. Um, it, it's all through fundraising. Um, we've had we've we're talking to companies so we're we're having a lot of conversations with some companies and we're open to having more conversations about corporate partnerships and brand partnerships we also have communities uh out doing cycles and runs we've had a number of um cyclists injured this year that we've been uh we've been called to so we've had some cycling clubs um doing their sport teams for us uh, we've motorbike clubs who are doing runs for us because again motorcyclists would be one of those groups of people we would see, a lot of farming accidents, um, a lot of road traffic collisions. So the, the fundraising is happening within the community. Well, I think what has happened to us and everybody else is that COVID has uh, decimated, I suppose is the only way to put it, our fundraising capabilities. So we really are asking people that when thing, as and when things start to open up safely <laughs> and that if they're running events in their local communities or companies are looking for a really impactful organisation that's doing really important work. Mm. Uh, we really would be open to talk and love to talk to people about those opportunities.
3: The costs of the chopper is one thing, but the cost per run, like take something like Clodagh's, um, the run now where she, they got to her and then brought her to the hospital. Like how much per run, how much per operation for the chopper approximately?
16: Yeah, so I suppose, and look again, you know, we, 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 we couldn't put a price on, you know, nope. a young life. Um, but in terms of, from the financials each tasking costs us an average of three and a half thousand euro um, but we know that you know from a comparative perspective uh, in terms of aeromedical and aeromedical services we're, we're really competitive you know if you were to look at it from a, a price comp- competition perspective you know that that's offering really significant value to our donors that's um, a huge value massive value yeah, so, um, mm-hmm. but that's you know that, uh, but again, as you say, you know, we if people want out there to if companies want to support a mission, to donate to support a mission or a number of missions. Then that's the kind of thing that is really important okay. to us, and that is what will keep this place operational.
3: Okay, all right. Listen, I'm delighted to see that you've acquired the new the new machine and continued success. Uh, Mihal Sheridan, chief exec of the Irish Community Air Ambulance, and Clodagh Lynch, continued good health to you, uh, a benefactor, a beneficiary of the service. 20 years of age and collapses of cardiac arrest and 15 minutes to get her from Bantry to CUH. Isn't it absolutely crazy, though, that we have to fund these things through charity fundraisers? Like, how much are we spending on health again? Is it 20 billion per year? How much are we spending again on this? And, and we have to fundraise for what should be a normal part of a functioning health service, something wrong there. 185715996. Dennis, this is apropos of nothing to do with. I, actually, well, it is kind of uh, following on from what Luke O'Neill was saying, and following on from what Liam Fanning was saying yesterday. This idea that right, let's abandon all this year by year by year by year thing. Right at the moment, I think that today they're calling in the 36-year-olds today. Tomorrow it's 35, Then whatever, and eventually the 20s will be down sometime in, in July. In other countries, they've done it in Holland, I think they've done it in the UK, um, they've done it in one or two more places across Europe. What they've done now is they said, look, to hell with the age-based booking system. If you're over 18 and you want a vaccine, get on to us now and we'll book you in. And both Liam Panning said, yep, yeah, time to do that. Luke O'Neill said this morning, yep, time to do that. Because with the Delta variant spreading like wildfire, it is spreading in the younger people. All the stats that we can get at the moment, we're still banjacked for stats because because of the HSE hack. Even though that's kind of only an excuse because they still have the numbers, we're just not getting them. All of the, or most of the cases, the majority of the cases are in very young people. So just open the vaccine portal for everybody over 18 and do it now. There seems to be a growing chorus for that to happen. But Dennis was on to us to say, I registered as soon as possible. First chance I got. Going in now for the second shot. We should be given the possibility for future shots in the pharmacy. If I'd stuck with my doctor, I'd be well and truly vaccinated now. I appreciate that exceptional situations required a massive mobilisation but now with things calming down, I think the doctors and the chemists have the best relationship with their patients. And with them being local, then everyone can just pop down without much notice or without much fuss. Dennis, very good point. Very good. We can't keep the City Hall open as a vaccination centre forever. So people may have to, we have to may have to fund the GPs to get the fridges and all that. Because we're going to need boosters. 1850
2: Can we just talk? The opinion
3: line on
2: Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100%
0: natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
2: <laughs> the Cork's 96 FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now.
0: 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey, and you could win a 100-euro shopping voucher.
2: The power to pick what we play. Pick
0: what we play. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel.
2: Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
0: Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
3: Or see 96FM.ie. Remind you of Monday, when we had Billy McGuinness from Aslan on the show. They have been turned down for a grant from this 25 million that the government has put in place to support the music industry as Dan will be 40 years in the business next year and they put in for the grant, for a grant to get themselves through these rough few months and maybe help them plan for that 40th anniversary and they were refused and it's the second time that they've been refused and there's no explanation why they've been refused and they're They're not happy about it. Billy McGuinness was talking to me on Monday.
13: We're a working band. We would be out three or four times a week, and we have been for the the last 40 years. And to be out of work for the past 15 months, like it is, like it's, it's, it's heartbreaking, you know? And I mean, you mentioned there that there's no live music. I mean, even outdoors in the pubs, you could have you 're not even allowed one guy with an acoustic guitar yeah outdoor outdoors, and especially the weather like yesterday father 's day there 's so many musicians that are just lying there waiting for the go and to be told that they can 't play outdoors uh, you know uh, where, where it 's relatively safe like a lot of people are vaccinated
3: like it's it 's it's, it's heartbreaking when you hear something like that and I was out myself Friday for Sunday night Sunday night I was taken out for father 's day. And we were in Barry's beautiful new garden there at the back, and I was just looking down the corner, thinking, "Why? Where's the science behind a fellow with a guitar not being allowed to be down there? I don't get the science of that, and I'm I followed the science since day one. I just don't get the science of that." Gary, uh, you can identify a lot with what, with what Billy was saying. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How you doing? Hi. The protest is today.
17: That's right. Yeah. We are uh, right here on the Grand Parade already. There's some of us here. I'm here with Johnny Bongos from Mallow and a few others, and uh, we're, we're ready to go. Mm. You're all doing yeah. the
3: social distance and all wearing masks and all that.
17: Indeed. We are taking the COVID-19 restrictions very seriously. We want everybody to be safe at this protest. But at the same time, we understand that uh, our whole industry has been thrown under the bus and they've, they've pushed us into taking this action because essentially... We need the government to ask Neffet to reevaluate the live music ban because they said that they told Fault to Ireland that they based it on previous guidance from Neffet, which was probably sometime last year <laughs> when we didn't even have a vaccination program and we, and we had much higher rates of infection back then. So we're in a much better place now. And all we're asking, the bare modicum is just to allow us to do what you had just described. Uh, musicians know how to regulate their volume, play it at, at low volume, so we won't be uh, very loud or boisterous. We won't be causing anyone to dance or even to speak loudly. So we, we know we can do live music outdoors safely, and we're demanding that the government uh, re-evaluate the, uh mm. the basically the blanket ban on live music that we're experiencing. Yeah. The, the,
3: the ban, such as it is, is based on the guidelines issued on the 9th of June, and the question that you were asking when I talked to you earlier in the month, and I don't think you've had an answer to it, is did Neffet, or did the government, sit down with Neffet and say, "Okay, where do we go with regards to music? We know what last year's instructions were. What are this year's instructions? They didn't ask that question. Why didn't they ask
17: it? I think because they think... We don't matter, or they don't know how important we actually are. We're the cultural lifeblood of this country. Most music happens in pubs, uh, outside pubs. Um, they don't think we're important. They just wanted to funnel money to their rich friends, the big music promoters that get to do those big gigs in the concert venues and the uh, stadium. Now, we welcome some of the grants that the government have provided to musicians. Do you know and anybody who got one, Gary? Um, I I just saw what was on online in terms of all the venues in Cork that had gotten money. Now, hopefully that'll that'll come through to uh, a select few uh, bands and musicians in Cork. But the problem is it, it won't go to everybody. And what we need is for us to get back to work, to even give the little guy a little bit of work in the beer garden, the guy that may not be so famous, the guy that, or woman, that may not be able to, uh, you know, sell out an arena. We're still a very important part of the music scene here in Cork, and Cork has one of the best music scenes I've ever experienced. I'm from America, and I just couldn't believe it when I moved to this town, and I saw how much amazing live music there is. Now, you could go see so much incredible talent right in front of you in, in a pub, but you scratch beneath the surface, and behind that talent is a lot of poverty musicians have been living in poverty for so long. So step one is let us get back to work safely and step two is we need to get paid properly for what we do.
3: Okay, Gary you put that extremely well and again I guess the, the question is out there, where, where is the science in not allowing the guy with the guitar or the keyboard into the corner of the beer garden, away from people, just bring his speakers into the crowd, keep him away. Where's the science? And we're not getting those those answers.
17: That's correct. I, I wish the government could understand that we're professionals. We know how to play uh, uh, responsibly, we and quietly, and and give everybody uh, a good time. But. You know, until we're out of the woods with COVID-19, we're not going to be having massive raves or anything. And or that's not what plus.
3: anybody's asking for, to be said. Exactly,
17: yeah. exactly.
3: All yeah. right. Okay, Gary, thank you very much. Good to speak with you, Gary. I organizing that at the moment. Musicians, as to why are we the last? Why is there no consultation? Why have we been forgotten about? Why don't you care about us? And I have to say, since day one of this, I have looked upon my many, many friends in music and I've just felt heartbroken for them because they have been reduced to gigging at home to gigging on Facebook to gigging and some of them have really done gamefully through this but they're living on a PUP and now we could surely put them into a beer garden somewhere and if there were no guidelines sought for this summer and if we're basing our decisions on last summer then there's something wrong 185715996
12: Can we just talk
2: opinion
3: line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy made premium spread,
0: 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
2: Simon Murdoch and the best music mix.
0: Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Making your Wednesday afternoon sound better and fly by as quickly
2: as possible with all your favourite tunes.
7: Giveaways as well. A smart speaker on free speaker frenzy. Up for grabs. See you from 12 on Cork's 96FM.
2: Cork's 96
3: a couple of weeks ago, we were talking to JP Quinn at UCC about a unique idea to salvage the floor of the old college bar and turn it into little presentation frames. Brilliant things from those of us who remember the heady days of the old college bar. It's totally different now. They have, it was the most decadent, noisy, booze filled place on the whole campus. And they have changed it now into a brand new concept called the calm zone. Uh, the UCC Interim President Professor John O'Halloran joins me Professor Halloran, good morning
18: good morning PJ thank you for having the opportunity to speak about this really exciting
3: project this morning I remember the College Bar its heyday and you do too I think
18: I do What you, you failed to mention of course with the um, I, was the smell that was one the most distinctive characteristic <laughs> for me um, <laughs> but it was an am- amazing place and you're right uh, I was there um, in, I remember the Philosoph on a Saturday evening at maybe 1979 1980 and we'd all retire later and, and continue the philosophical debate but it, it was a really amazing place. Actually, absolutely
3: agree with you, uh, and great fun. So, what is it now? I probably wouldn't recognise it.
18: Yeah, I think I don't think you would actually. And we're very welcome to join and come up and visit at any point. But what we've really done together with the Students Union um, is to create a new space for are increasing the diversity of our student body. And just to remind the listeners, we have 22,000 students here at University College Cork, and we most recently developed a very large area, what's called the hub. Uh, and that's a kind of a noisy space with a global lounge and a, a lot of really important learning spaces. And right across from that then is where the old college bar, or the, or the Cantor Kuhn, as we call it, Oskuelga, the calm zone. And the idea is to have the juxtaposition for students who, who desire and need a different kind of space to support that diverse student need in the university. So it's what we refer to as autism-friendly principles. It has mm-hmm. been designed around. And now. what's in there? Sir. So what's in there is, is a, a series of rooms at the most simplistic level. It's acoustically designed. It's got particular types of lighting and color and the organization in different pockets across in there. So it ranges from individual spaces and places for students to hang out, with bean bags and the colors that, that are more, more, uh, more, more reflective of that, of that diverse student body together with a more structured organization than perhaps for other kinds of gatherings. And what prompted us really is, is listening to our student body, who, um, who, some of which are really talented and, and, and perhaps autistic in, in that sense of the word. And I, I consider that a talent spectrum, actually. Um, mm. And we wanted to support all our students um, and we just wanted to create that space. And we had moments where the students just didn't have that space to go to. And this is now a place, uh, a part of university. And it would be wrong for me to portray it as the only place, because in the library also we've got a range of other structures that are like high-back chairs and, 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 a, and a comfort pod where people can go in in a soundproof way. So mm-hmm. it's part of an infrastructure across University College of but
3: sometimes, you yes. know, particularly people on the spectrum but i guess i guess all of us all sometimes of us, yeah. you just need time to stop mm. and breathe absolutely no and perhaps no more than ever actually
18: where we're being bombarded with digital media and where we're all working remotely and all that kind of thing we do need a place to stop reflect listen and learn and i think that's the kind of environment that we're trying to create. And goodness, that's the kind of place a university should have. And indeed, in the lower grounds and other parts of the institution. But but this is a specific place that we've designed and available to all students uh, and and indeed staff if they wish to use it to support them.
3: Can can we pop up and have a look at it and and see the the, the change of the old bar? Thank you very much, Interim President of UCC, Professor John O'Halloran, the new CAM Zone. If you're listening to me and you remember the old college bar... We won't. We wouldn't recognise it now, would we? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Are we good to go there, further Just let me know if we are. So we we opened this morning um, by going through the newspapers and by looking at the various commentary in the newspapers as to what is going to happen next and, and where we presently stand with COVID nineteen and variants and what might or might not be about to happen, because we're told that well, the Delta variant is on the increase and we need to be concerned with that. And then we have the 5th of July is the next date at which we're supposed to ease off on more restrictions. The opportunity now to go once again to, the, uh, to Geneva, Switzerland, to the office of Dr. David Navarro, who's the special envoy on COVID-19 at the World Health Organization. Dr. David, thank you for taking our call.
13: Thank you. It's lovely to be with you all. Thanks for this.
3: In Ireland, Dr. Navarro, in the past week, we know that one new case in every five has involved this so-called Delta variant. Given that Delta is the dominant strain now in the UK, I think the key question to ask you is, do you believe Ireland should be rethinking our plans for a continued reopening in July?
13: Thanks very much indeed. I want to talk to you almost from two points of view, and then that will uh, help us to work through this. From the point of view of public health, uh, that is trying to keep everybody free of disease, trying to stop people from dying when they uh, have got plenty of healthy lives uh, left, Uh, it, it is really a very serious situation. As a public health doctor, I'm saying to people, please be super careful in how you behave. Please continue to mask. Please continue to physically distance. Please continue to avoid big crowds, especially if the air is not ventilated. Because I'm saying this Delta variant is like a new virus, really. It is fierce and it is easily transmitted. And it, in some cases, may be able to evade the protection of the vaccines. Mm. And, And so we're saying be careful. On the other hand, me as a person who's a father... Who's got a family? Uh, who's been had my life completely messed up for 18 months because of all this thing? Uh, I'm I'm basically saying let's just get on and find ways to go about our lives, and to make sure we defend ourselves against the worst of this virus. But we've got to restart because otherwise we're just going to be fearful um, tear, of it all the time. And I'm moving towards the let's get on, but I'm also saying. Let's be super prudent, let everybody know what we've got to do if there's a, a new upsurge of cases, uh, and and let's make sure that we involve the public as partners in the response uh, uh, in all in places. And Ireland's done that, so I don't need to be saying that to the government of Ireland. Some other countries have found it less easy to do so.
3: Is it fair to assume, uh, Doctor, that seasonality is now something of a characteristic of COVID-19? And if it is, and if it were, that if it would, that Delta was to take hold again in this country towards winter, might we, find, might we find ourselves back in the world of restrictions?
13: Yeah, well, I hope not. Restrictions, for me, are last resort. That's when... Your health service is getting overwhelmed or uh, there's a lot of disease in factories or there is a problem in residential care for old people. And then various restrictions have to be imposed and and that is uh, desirable, but it's last resort. So I'm hopeful not. Uh, I do not, I'm not certain, I'm just going to say I'm not certain that this is going to be a seasonal disease quite like flu when it settles down. With flu, it always builds up in the winter months. That's when hospitals uh, really do get fuller with people who've got the consequences of flu. But uh, I've not seen yet that uh, association with winter weather with this one. It seems at the moment, at least, it's because it's not settled down, it seems to be able to surge up in the summer months as well as the winter months. And so I'm not going to give this the seasonal tag for now.
3: Mm. Last winter, you mentioned the flu. We, we kind of didn't have a flu season yeah, last year because yeah. of the high level of, res, of restriction. Now, as we lift yeah. those restrictions, one would naturally assume flu will come back at some level. Could that yeah, be will. a complication in dealing with the pandemic?
13: Well, I mean, in life, when you're, when you're trying to look after the health of populations, the one thing you want to always look out for is different... Infectious diseases, sort of coinciding, uh, uh, and then it, it really does overload the system. And I think we all worry about the way in which health systems cope during the winter months. And so, in Ireland, that's obviously in uh, December, January, uh, and into February. And and I'm going to suggest to everybody that we we could we could do. Well, to maintain this strong emphasis on hygiene uh, that we've had and also being careful about physical contact uh, and mask wearing. Because, you know, the behavior that we used to reduce the incidence of COVID is the same behavior that is needed to deal with flu. It's hand washing, dealing with your cough so you don't splutter all over people. And then the, the, um, um, avoiding physical contact. So let's see if with this winter in uh, in Europe we can actually continue apply to apply some of the precautions that we did around covid and keep the flu burden down as well like we did uh last year.
3: When I want to talk about vaccinations briefly, Dr. Yeah. Nabara. And we have our rollout now going relatively well. Very high take-up among the public, which is very encouraging. Beautiful, but beautiful. Yes. We're, we're frequently reminded by by your uh, the, the WHO that yeah. none of us are safe until all of us are safe. That, that I think it was Mike Ryan I heard saying that first. Yeah, none of us are safe right. until all of us are safe. Like, are you and your colleagues... Are you satisfied that enough attention is being paid, for example, to sharing the vaccines with the less well-off countries?
13: Well, if I was in charge of everything, uh, I would not have the vaccine rollout as it is at the moment. I I don't think it is right from any perspective to have a situation where the majority of adults can be immunised in one group of countries when in other countries... Uh, We've got people dying because of lack of vaccine, people dying because uh, they've had one vaccine dose, but they don't have the second dose because the vaccines have run out. Uh, I I just don't like that. Uh, It it ends up meaning that, uh, you know, your, your fate when you get infected by this virus depends enormously on where you were born or what passport you hold. And uh, and so if I were in charge, I would say we've got a limited amount of vaccine. We've got a lot of people at risk of death all over the world. It's older people. It's people with diabetes, people with heart disease. Why on earth don't we just concentrate on those most in need? I don't call it charity. I call it doing the right thing. Uh, Now, it's not happening, and I'm not going to be able to make it happen. I don't have that sort of power. So we've got to go for the second best thing, which is making absolutely certain that as well as vaccinating the, the people in rich countries uh, uh, as well as we can, that there is a proper process for sharing. Uh, and that Ireland's been great on that, and I hope you can continue. You've argued both uh, uh, in the uh, uh, national context, in the European context, in the WHO, in the United Nations, you've argued for fair sharing because you believe that's the right way to go
3: please keep it up lastly dr Nabarro uh, for today yeah. when, when you and i first spoke about this subject a few months yeah. back you were very clear you were saying we had a very long way to go before this pandemic was anywhere near its end how do yep. you now see the situation in june of 2021 i'm afraid we've still
13: got a long way to go before this pandemic is going to end In fact, I'm not sure this pandemic will end because I think this virus is going to stick around, continuing to mutate and give us these variants. As you've heard, there's now Delta and Delta Plus. And then I heard yesterday about variant Lambda that's being looked at. They'll go on coming, these variants. This virus is going to go on changing. We will, as humanity, first of all, learn to live with the virus around and and keep ourselves safe. And secondly, uh, our, our clever scientists will find new forms of vaccine that can protect us against it. But it will be an ongoing struggle. Uh, and uh, uh, what's the important thing to say is that actually we're all getting used to this COVID. We're, we're working out how to live with it. And so my prediction for 2021 into 2022 is that humanity will come to terms with living with this virus it will stay with us for good. We will get some bad surprises from time to time. We'll deal with them, and then we'll be ready to get on with the next challenge, and that's climate change, and that's a big one.
3: Dr. Navarro, I thank you for your time. Uh, as always, Dr. David Navarro, Special Envoy uh, for COVID-19 to the World Health Organization, speaking to me on the opinion line of Cork's from his Office in Geneva. Thank you, Dr. Navarro, for being with us today. There you have it. You can't go much higher up the ladder, lads, than the World Health Organization. And what he's kind of saying is, look, as a public health doctor, this is regard to next month, as a public health doctor, he's saying we need to be extremely careful and we need to be concerned about what's happening with the variants. As a human being who's had his life reduced, like all of our lives have been reduced in the last 18 months, what we need to do is get on with it. Be careful. Realise what we have to do to be careful. Take the precautions, but for pity's sake, get on with it. 1850-715-996, I think we'll probably podcast that. We'll podcast on its own, podcast extra. Uh, Finally, before we get out of here, on the shops and sending kids to the shop. We used to be sent to the shop with a note for the message to get the tampons. There was kids all over, Cork going to the shop for tampons by the by the looks of the messages coming in. Janet says, I watched my kids play up to the age of seven. Then they had learned how to play fairly and watch for road safety. I then struggled as my eight-year-old wanted to go into the next street. I couldn't see him, but I let go slowly. He was fine. At around nine or ten, he went to the shops. Now he's 16. He has to be in by 10. The world is no more dangerous than it was in my day. We just talk more about issues that were always there. Kids are far more likely to be abused by a family member or friend than by a stranger in the street. You can't send a 12-year-old to secondary school if they've never walked into the shop. Balance is everything. And that might be a good way to finish. (sighs) I like that one, actually. You can't send them to secondary school if they've never walked to the shop. Balance is everything. That's it. The program today, edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry, Fiona Corcoran, also on The Desk Inside today. We'll see you tomorrow, just after nine.
12: Can we just talk?
3: The Opinion
2: Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairymaid Premium Spread,
0: 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?